Now, my text this morning is taken from the book of Job. We're at Job chapter 10, and we're thinking primarily of verse 9. Remember, I beseech thee, that thou hast made me as clay, and wilt thou bring me into dust again? Now, I've entitled this message, Four Things Job Remembered. That's to make it simple. So let's ask the question this morning. Who was Job? Young people, Job was an Old Testament believer. He was a saved man, one who loved the Lord. I believe that he lived around the same time as Abraham. And oftentimes we use the word contemporary, and that means that he lived around the same time. The Bible tells us in Job chapter 1, verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and shewed evil. So we learn four things about Job. He was perfect, he was upright, and one that feared God and ensued evil. Now that word perfect doesn't mean sinlessly perfect. What it means is he was totally and fully committed to the Lord. Uprightness has to do with his moral character. He was one who feared God. And of course, that's the fount and beginning of all wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when it says he ensued evil, that means he, he hated things that were sinful and evil in the sight of God. Now, what happened to Job? Here's a second question. What happened to Job? Job, as a godly man, was under the attack of the devil and the powers of darkness. In God's sovereignty, in his wisdom and providence, he permitted Satan to deprive Job of his possessions, his family, the respect of his wife, his health and strength, and his special relationship with his closest friends. So think of poor Job. This is a time of great sorrow and suffering in his life. He knows something of sorrow upon sorrow. He had suffered the painful loss of his beloved farm. Think of his choice cattle, his cows, his sheep, his oxen, his camels, his goats. He has suffered the painful loss of ten children. One child dying is bad enough. But ten children, seven sons and three daughters... Also, he had no real encouragement from his wife. What did she tell him to do? She said, curse God and die. It's God's fault, Job. God is to blame. His closest friends who came to comfort him, they ended up condemning him. You see, they branded Job as a hypocrite. They want him to think. They asked him to consider his ways. They tell him, search your heart and mind, Job. Because you must have sinned secretly. You need to confront your sin. They believed and were convinced that Job had sinned secretly in his heart and mind. And they were really saying, you're a secret hypocrite, Job. And you're under the deserved punishment from God. And you need to repent. And you need to get right with God. So we're asking these questions. Who was Job? And I've given you the answer. And what happened to Job? I've already told you. Now, here's the important bit. What did Job do? In his pain and in his woe and anguish, 
Job turned to the Lord in prayer. He brings the matter before the Lord. He lays his burden down at the Lord's feet and before the Lord's face. And isn't there a powerful lesson for us about prayer? We all face trials and troubles at some time in our lives. We all know difficult periods. There's always times of sorrow and suffering. The late pastor Willie Mullen preached a sermon. There's a day of trouble comes to us all. And what do we do when trouble comes? Where can we go? The late Eileen Lowe used to say, where can we go? But to the Lord. And there's the answer. Turn to the Lord. Talk to him. Tell him all about it. And, and trust in him. See, the Bible says in Psalm 62, verse 8, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. And if we listen to the advice of Psalm 55, verse 22, cast thy burden on the Lord and he shall sustain thee. And that's what Job does. He turns to the Lord in prayer. He begins to talk to the Lord and tell him all about his pain, his woe, his suffering. And he's finding it difficult, as many do, to actually trust the Lord at this hour. So I want you to think of Job. Job prays. Job pours his, out his heart to the Lord. And what does he say? You see, he is very honest with the Lord. He cannot fully understand what on earth is happening to him. He, he can't figure it out in his mind. And here he is, he's thinking. He's asking questions to himself. Is God being unfair to me? Is this right what has happened to me? Is it wise? Surely this is wrong. This can't be right, Lord. And in the midst of his search for answers, and in the midst of his supplication, Job, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uttered these words. Listen to Job chapter 10, verse 1. My soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say unto God, do not condemn me. Show me wherefore thou contendest with me. If you come down to verse 9, he says, Remember, I beseech thee, that thou hast made me as the clay, and wilt thou bring me into dust again? You see, you've got to remember that Job is speaking out of the depth of his <coughs> affliction. He is so weary of his circumstances. He is so weary in a sense of life itself. He's ready to quit. It's as if he's give up. He's happy if death would come and take him away from it all. Listen to what he says. I will say unto God, do not condemn me and show me wherefore thou contendest with me. You see, this is a prayer unto God to try and understand God's sovereign purposes in his life. You see, the Lord has not only ordained this for Job, but the Lord has permitted it to be brought into Job's life. And Job's struggling to understand it. And many of you that are going through trials and troubles, <coughs> if not personally in the context of family, you too struggle to understand it all. 
And the Lord Jesus said, What I do now, John 13 and 7, ye know not, but ye shall know hereafter. And sometimes trials and troubles is like trying to swallow a very bitter pill. It just won't go down. It's hard to take. Now in this pain and sorrow, Job talks to the Lord out of the bitterness of his soul. He can't see what God is doing. It's like a a hidden mystery to him. Is the Lord punishing Job for some secret sin unknown to him? Something that he's not conscious of? Is the Lord being unfair? Is the Lord being unjust? Is the Lord being unloving toward him? Does he not see? Does he not care? And in this context, in the bitterness of his soul, Job, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he utters these words. And that's what I want us to focus on today, very quickly. Remember, I beseech thee, that thou hast made me as the clay, and wilt thou bring me into dust again? Job remembers four things, and that's what I want to leave with you today. One, Job remembers that he's been created by God. Look at the words, Remember, I beseech thee, that thou hast made me as the clay. Now think of the word clay. And then he adds, And wilt thou bring me into dust again? Think of the word dust. Does that not take us back to the Garden of Eden? Does that not take us back to Genesis chapter 2 and in the verse uh, 17? And we read there in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17 uh, these uh, words, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. It says in verse 7 of Genesis 2, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So I want you to think of God taking the dust of the ground, forming a clay human body, and then God breathing the breath of life into that clay body, and man becoming a living soul. And you see, it's a reference to the creative power of God. If we link it up with Job chapter 10 and verse 12, he says, Thou hast granted me life. And we'll pause there. And if you take in the verse 11, Thou hast clothed me with skin and flesh, and hast fenced me with bones and sinews, Thou hast granted me life. There's a reference to the creative power of God. What's Job doing? He's acknowledging God as his creator and maker. The Lord is the one who has made him. The Lord is the one who's clothed him with skin and flesh. The Lord has fenced him with bones and sinews. The Lord is the one who's given him life. He attributes his life to the Lord. And you know, young people, that's a very, very important uh, truth to remember. That's a great truth to learn. Remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 139. He said this in verses uh, 13 and 14. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. You see, life hasn't evolved. It hasn't come about by chance. It is not a process that has taken place over millions of years. Life has been created by God. Isn't that amazing? Out of the dust of the ground. Life is a gift from God. And Job knows this. And Job is thankful. 
Life is the gift of God. And he knows that his life has been sustained by the Lord. It's existence. The experience of life, the enjoyment of life, the exposure of life, the expiry of life. It's all in the hand of the Lord. And remember the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17 and verse 24, whenever he was preaching the gospel in Mars Hill, said this, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell in all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. See, Paul preached the gospel in Mars Hill. And what does he do? He goes right back to creation. He he comes to something that's fundamental. Before you can worship God, you've got to remember and discover that God is your creator and maker. He starts with God as creator. God is the maker of the body. He underlines the fundamental point that, that life begins with him. Life is in him. Now that's denied today. That's something that's denounced. That's something that's doubted. That's something that's disowned by many. But our catechism said, what is the chief end of man? And of course, the answer is this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. All the blessedness of life, all the beauties of life, the bounties of life, the bitterness of life, the battles, the burdens. Now, what is your life this morning? You're only here for a short time. I'm thinking of Mrs. Maternahan down in the nursing home in Ballymena in her 103rd year. I'm thinking of Mrs. Emily Marsh this morning, just after celebrating in September there her 100th birthday. I'm thinking of Mr. Stanley Cook, who's celebrated just his 90th birthday but a few days ago. And yet, even though that's a long life, and we thank God for that, that life is only for a little time. Life, the Bible says, is like a a swifter than a weaver's shuffle. It goes back and forth, and it's gone. Life is like the wind. Our life is like the vapor of the cattle. And you can see it for a time, and then it is gone. Job remembers, I am but clay and dust. I'm only here for a short time. I didn't evolve. I don't come from a blob of some sort of chemical soup. I have been created by the mighty power of God, and that God has given me life. I have been created by the mighty power of God. If you could learn that today, I have been created by the mighty power of God. He remembers this in his bitterness of soul, in the weakness of his body, in all the fragility, in all the frightened experience that he was going through, in all of its frailty. He remembers, I'm a mere creature. I'm here for a limited time. And yet God is my creator. I'll tell you something else. He's not only creator, but God controls his life. Look at the text again. It says this in verse 9, in Job chapter 10 and verse 9. He says, and wilt thou bring me into dust again? 
It's not very important. He recognizes my life and times are in God's hands. God reigns and rules in my life. God reigns over all men. God has authority over all men. Remember whenever Adam sinned in the garden and went and hid among the trees and the Lord God came walking in the um, garden? God called to Adam, where art thou? What was he doing? He was exercising his control, his lordship over Adam. And Adam had to answer. God called him to account. God was calling him to confront his sin. You see, God is creator and maker. But God is also your controller today. Do you respect that? Or do you reject that? Do you protest and pretend that it's not real? You want the running hide? I want nothing to do with the creator. Remember, the fool have said in his heart, there is no God. And Romans 14 and 12 tells us then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And one day, even though you might reject him as creator and maker, God will bring you into dust again. That's a reference to death. That's a reference to the grave. And over there in Genesis chapter 3 and the verse 19, uh, what did God say to Adam by way of uh, punishment in relation to uh, Adam's fall into uh, sin and disobedience? In Genesis 3 at 19, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. See, death is the end of our physical life. Remember, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have a birthday. All of us one day will have a death day. The journey will end in death. And God is sovereign in life. But God is also sovereign in death. And that death has been appointed. And death remembers a consequence of man's sin. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, for death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Romans 6 and 23, for the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life. It ties into Genesis chapter 2 and the verse 17. And, and here's God's answer uh, in relation to the whole subject of death. And you may be here and you may be fear death. And Job is asking the question, wilt thou bring me to dust again? And the answer is yes, that, that, that's part of God's plan. Listen to this in Hebrews chapter 2. For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their life time subject to bondage. And how many fear death and fear the judgment? And yet there's an answer. And the answer is death has been defeated by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's a tremendous comfort uh, and a tremendous uh, thing for God's people to take into their mind. Job remembers he's been created by God. That's the first thing. Secondly, Job remembers that he's been converted by God. If you go back up there to Job chapter 10, look with me at verse 7. It says in verse 7, Thou knowest that I am not wicked, and there is none that can deliver out of thine hand. See, he's talking to God. Thou knowest that I am not wicked. It's in the context of verse 6. Thou hast, that thou inquirest after mine iniquity and searchest after my sin. He is saying to God, 
come and look at my life. Examine me as a righteous judge. Because when you examine me and search after my sin, thou knowest that I am not wicked. So think of the Lord looking for sin in Job's life and Job's protesting, thou knowest that I am not wicked. You see, the word wicked here is a legal term. It takes us to the law court. It takes us to the judge in the bench. It takes us to the offender in the dock. And he's either wicked or, or righteous. And the word wicked is connected with justice and with judgment. And he's appealing to the Lord. Thou knowest that I'm not wicked. You see, Job confidently asserts that he doesn't stand before God condemned. And in this, Job is abundantly correct. Remember the opening chapter that I read, Job 1 and 1. The Lord doesn't condemn Job. He commends him. He's perfect. He's upright. He fears God. He eschews evil. The Lord doesn't berate Job. He, he boasts of Job to the devil. The Lord doesn't reject Job. He has redeemed Job. Job could say, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that Redeemer, of course, was the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's none like Job in all the earth. The Lord openly praises Job. He doesn't pronounce a judgment on him. Here's this tired, tried and tested servant of the Lord. He's in bitterness of soul. He's full of pain in his body and in his mind. And he prays to the Lord. And one of the things that he says to the Lord is, Thou knowest that I am not wicked. Isn't that tremendous? And as he uttered those words, he's proclaiming a majestic, glorious, biblical truth. And the doctrine is this. Here's the core and essence of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. The truth is this. That he can be legally declared righteous in the sight of God. Yes, God is sovereign in life and death. Yes, God is just. Yes, death is the consequence of sin. Yes, does God punish sin? Remember Job said in verse 14, If I sin, then thou markest me, verse 14, and thou wilt not acquit me from mine iniquity. God will hold him to account. God will say, Job, you have sinned against me in, in thought and in word and deed. Yet when the sinner repents, when he cries for mercy, when he comes to the Savior for redemption, then his sin in a legal manner is put away. It is blotted out. God is satisfied. His holy justice and law are um, fulfilled. Sin has been atoned for. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. And what a wonderful thing it is to remember that there's forgiveness with him that they may have be feared. And of course, forgiveness with God is a legal promise. Thy sins and iniquities I will remember no more. I was sharing with a man this week, and uh, these words, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. You see, the gospel, the good news of the personal work of Christ is the remedy for man's sin. The remedy for man's death. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We're coming up to Christmas time. We'll be thinking God sent his son. They called him Jesus. Why did he come? He came to give us life 
a ransom for many. He come to shed his blood to purchase our redemption. And, and think of what Job says in this context. Thou knowest that I am not wicked. Look at verse 7 again. And there is none that can deliver out of thine hand. There's a warning. There's none that can deliver out of thine hand. One day I'll stand before God. This all-holy, all-wise, all-powerful, all-knowing God. And on that day I'll give an account of my life to him. I'll not escape that day. I'll not evade that day. And I ask the question, are you ready to meet him? Can you say with Job before the Lord honestly this morning, thou knowest that I'm not wicked? Why? Because I've received a full and free and forever pardon. And my conscience is clear. I have been redeemed by the precious blood and I've got a full and free and forever justification. I've been legally declared righteous in your sight, Lord. And it's wonderful to know that the Lord Jesus is the righteous advocate stands and pleads our cause for us in the court of heaven, at the bar of heavenly justice. And as the righteous judge, he is able to give us a full and final discharge of every sin. What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. And is it wonderful to know he has blotted out as a thick cloud all our transgressions. He's put them in the sea of forgetfulness. There's no fishing sign up. He doesn't fish. He doesn't allow anyone else, not even the devil or ourselves, to do fishing. So Job remembers that he's not only created, but he's, he, he's, he's converted. I'll tell you something else. Job remembers that he's cared for by God. If you look at verse 12, I'm thinking of these words, Thou hast, thou hast granted me life and favor. Isn't that tremendous? What does he add? And thy visitation has preserved my spirit. Thou hast given me life. Thou hast given me favor. See, Job's experiencing a horrible time. Life is tough. And maybe you're experiencing a horrible time. And life is tough for you. And Job, remember, is a faithful child of God. He loves the Lord. He fears the Lord. He hates evil. He, he, he's trying his best to live a moral, upright life before the Lord. And yet here he is, suffering pain. He's been reduced to poverty. All of these friends are pronouncing this sentence upon him. You're a, a rotten, stinking, horrible hypocrite, Job. And what does he say? Thou hast given me life and favor. He's thinking about the mercy of God. He's thinking about the loving kindness of the Lord. You see, he's looking for answers. And in his anguish, he realizes that his only comfort, his only care is in the Lord who has provided life and favor to him. And if your life is hard and difficult, and I know it is for many, and many are in a bed of sickening, sickness, many have faced this year, death has come and taken away a precious loved one, and maybe you're struggling to eat, make ends meet. Just remember this. God has shown you favor. He's not only given you life, but he's shown you favor. The word favor has to do with mercy and grace and loving kindness. What has he given you today? He's given you life itself. He's given you the ability to count your blessings, the blessings of life. And see, Job could take stock. Job could remember. He knows that God has been merciful. And here you are, you've been born. 
You're living out your life. And you're a child of his. You can thank God you're not in hell. You can thank God you've been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. These are all blessings and, and a thousand more that we could mention. As the hymn writer says, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Job remembers in his pain, God cares for me. And the Bible tells us, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And you take those words home this morning. He careth for you. I'll tell you something else as we finish. Job remembers that he's been comforted by God. If you look again at verse 12, he says, And thy visitation have preserved my spirit. Isn't that wonderful? You see, thy visitation, God visits us as Christians. And there are special times. And in special ways the Lord draws near just to comfort. The psalmist asked the question, what is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou shouldest visit us him? And God does visit his people. And night and day he can draw near. And when he comes, he reveals to us his person. Emmanuel, God with us. And he gives us a sense of his presence. And he tells us, fear not for I am with thee. And we have a sense that the Lord is by our side, even in the pain and woe. And of course, he is able to help us. He is able to succor us. He is able to strengthen us. It's wonderful what the Lord is able to do. In fact, there's seven references in the Bible that are special. He is able. You can look them up and you'll find comfort and strength. The Lord is able to pity. He's your heavenly father. He'll not cause you a needless tear. As I said about the birds, if he looks after the birds, then he'll look after his babes. And if he provides for the birds, and he does, then he'll surely provide for us in the trial and trouble, in the hardness and in the difficulty. He has allowed this. He has ordained this. Why? So that we can trust him. So that we can turn to him. So that we can tell him and talk to him. And then people ask you, well, how are you able to cope with all of this? And the answer is, with the Lord's help. You've got the Lord's pity. You've got the Lord providing and meeting your need. The Lord visits the Christian. But I'll tell you, he also visits the church. And we can look to a day of small things now. But let's remember back in 1625, 1859, the 1920s, God visited Northern Ireland. And God came and stirred up his church. And that's what the Lord is able to do. And so often we, we, we look in the day of small things. And we can, in a sense, despise it in our mind. And it's hard going when things are small. But let's remember they don't always have to stay like this. Why? Because God is able to visit. And that's what Job was saying. Thou has granted me life and favor. And thy visitation has preserved me. Isn't people saying the church is finished? Might as well close up shop and lock the door and throw away the key. Nobody interested now in coming to church, Mr. McLaughlin. I heard this yesterday down in Killyleigh. But, but here's my answer. It's God's visitation. This is God's work. And, and the Bible says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the church is in God's hands. And we wait in God's time of refreshing and God's day of revival and God's blessing. Of course, we have a duty and responsibility to pray for that. We have a duty and responsibility to be like Job. But I'll tell you something else as we finish. 
Not only does the Lord visit us as his children, and not only does he visit the church, but we're coming up to the most special time of the year when we remember God has visited the whole of the country. In fact, the universe, because it's coming up to Christmas time. And if you turn over there, lastly, this is the last reference, it's in Luke chapter 1, verse 68. In Luke 1, verse 68, we read these words. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. And is not what Christmas is all about. The Lord has visited us in the person and work of Christ, in his person as Lord and Redeemer. He has come to identify with us because he's not ashamed to call us his brethren. He has come to apply a, a, a power that, that's beyond all expectations, the power of a transformation and a changed life out of love and pity. He's provided not only for our body, but he provides for our soul. And in this way, as Job thought about thy visitation has preserved me, he's thinking about the visitation of God to him in the past. And he knows he can be comforted even in the present, despite the pain. So here's four things Job remembered. If you go to church this morning and somebody asks you around the dinner table or this evening, what was the message about this morning and carried off FPC? Four things Job remembered. One, created by God, converted by God, Cared for by God and comforted. How? Because God visited him. The Lord bless you this morning. Thank you for coming and thank you for listening.